book or this great chapter and adopted the theme of the incomparable or the incomparable Christ. And Paul continues throughout this letter to place a great emphasis upon the atoning work of Christ and the mercies uh, that come as a result of that. In these verses, verses 9 through 17, in part of what's known as Paul's prayer for the saints at Colossae, he reminds them of how they were made fit for heaven and how that they should be reminded of not only exalting their redemption, but primarily exalting their Redeemer. And so by emphasizing these subjects, we come to our admonishment that Paul gives these Colossians, which will be the title and the subject today. He says, as a result of these things, you should walk worthy of the Lord. Let's read there in verse 9. He says, for this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son." in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You can certainly see that Paul gives an exhortation and an admonishment for them to walk worthy of the Lord. Walking worthy of the Lord, we saw even in our Old Testament scripture in this morning that Jeremiah, through the word of the Lord, used the word walk. Pay close attention to how you walk. Amend your ways, he said, because you are walking wrongfully. You are walking in a way that you ought not walk. The Bible tells us, and here Paul makes mention of, and I think it's a beautiful expression, to walk worthy of the Lord. That means our walk as believers, our walk as Christians, ought to be a walk that glorifies and exalts our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, Paul specifically makes prayer for them, and he gives specific expressions as to what he's praying about them for, what he's asking God to give them. And we're going to go through a few of those um, in sequence this morning. But I also want you to notice in verses 12 and 13, he says something very, very profound that I believe really sets the entire context of what's being said here. You'll notice that he uses these expressions and he uses the word hath made, or he hath delivered, or hath translated us. There are three expressions where it says specifically where our thanks should be. And it says our thanks should be unto the Father in verse 12. Notice, which hath made us meet to be partakers. We've been made meet or fitted, qualified to be partakers of the inheritance. Verse 12 
who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Deliverance means to be rescued uh, by paying the price. And then he hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And as a result, we have redemption through his blood. That is indeed what we as believers today ought to be most thankful for, is that we have been delivered. We have been made partakers of this inheritance. And so Paul is praying for believers. He's praying for people who know what it is to have been delivered by his dear son. Redemption that has come through the Redeemer, the incomparable Christ, as we've made mention of him. In verses 9 through 11, I'm going to give you some simple headings this morning, and hopefully this will help keep an order to what we're going through today. First of all, he gives us the evidence of our redemption. What is the evidence of our redemption? Well, Paul, or our redemption, what Paul shows us, remember, he had mentioned to them the pastor at Colossae. His name was Epaphras. And Epaphras, as we've learned over the last few weeks, had told Paul about the love that these Colossian believers had for Christ. Now, that's wonderful. That's great to have a love for Christ, and that ought to be our first love. But he also said not only to have a love for Christ, but because their love for Christ is right, they have a love for one another. A claim for a love of Christ, but then a hatred of your brethren is not a love of Christ at all. Epaphras had told Paul, this church at Colossae not only loves Christ, but they love each other. And so Paul was praying for a very loving church. Perfect? No. Loving? Yes. This brought Paul to deliver what we often refer to as a prayer of thanksgiving for the saints at Colossae. Well, notice specifically what he's praying for is praying that there would be an increase in the evidences of their redemption. In other words, if they are truly redeemed, then there are going to be markers. There are going to be evidences that they are indeed redeemed. So we'll notice that Paul makes very specific requests and he uses very specific language that I think is important for us to understand. Look what he says first of all. He says in verse number 9 that they do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now folks, specifically what he's praying for here is that the revealed will of God, you would be filled by that. Now, this is not that hidden decree of God, those mysterious workings of God that we don't fully know everything that God is doing, but this is the revealed will of God, that you would be filled with a knowledge of his will, to learn from his word, to learn through his son, to learn more about his will of redemption, his will of purposes, his will of his attitude, his conduct, and his will of eternal glory. Now notice it's interesting. Don't ignore the language here. He doesn't just pray for a general knowledge. He actually says that they would be filled. This is an inward filling with a knowledge of what? His wisdom and understanding. Right? He goes on. He says not only with the knowledge of his will, but the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, to have wisdom is not just intelligence. 
Matter of fact, it is, it is more than intelligence. It is a spiritual understanding that we would be delivered, Paul is saying, that you would be delivered from that which is false, that which is just simply tradition. Remember, Colossae had a problem just like we, the, the modern church, have. They had a problem with false teachers. We're on every side. And friends, we have a problem. We have a problem even, even in our own cities, our own towns around us. Uh, there is false teaching on every side. Paul is praying that you would be delivered from this dry, dead orthodoxy that is masquerading itself as the truth of God's Word. And we ought to be praying for one another that way. We ought to be praying that one another, we, we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in spiritual wisdom and in understanding. To have wisdom to not only understand what is wrong, but I think you're going to hear a very common theme today that we would have spiritual understanding of even our present sin. You see, we have been delivered from the power of darkness as we saw in verse 13. We are redeemed. We are children of the Most High God. But we still have a struggle with daily sin. And we have a problem with that because we are unable to deal with our own sin apart from Jesus Christ. That we would have an understanding of that. We would have an understanding of the mercies of God in forgiving us our sins. If we truly understood the awfulness of sin, we would return words of thanksgiving back to God because we've been delivered from it. Because this sin that continues to plague us, sin that continues to be on our doorstep, sin that continues the moment that our feet leave the bed and they hit the floor in the morning, we are again subject to the corruptions and the pollutions of this world. And we need a wisdom and spiritual understanding in how to combat those things. We need an understanding how God, the Bible says, how Christ Himself can be just and the justifier. We need a greater understanding of the riches of what sovereign grace really means and how He has been kind towards those who did not deserve kindness. How Christ has demonstrated to us not only His kindness, but He's granted us forgiveness. Forgiveness of our sin. Friends, Paul wanted them to be more than professors of some sort of a religion. He wanted them to be, have a true profession and a possession of Christ. Words are just words. Professions and confessions are meant to be marked by evidences, by actions. Anyone can walk in the door of any place and say, we are Christians. Paul says, if you're Christians, these are the things that I'm praying would be increased. These evidences that you are in fact a child of God. Then notice he uses what's our subject today. He says that ye might walk worthy of the Lord. Now notice it doesn't stop. Unto all pleasing. Paul speaks here about our godly conduct and our behavior. Now by the way, this is not just how do you conduct yourselves in the church. This is how you conduct yourself in your home. This is how you conduct yourself on the job. This is how you conduct yourself on the street. We will live and talk as those who are in Christ. The question this morning for all of us, including me, is does our walk seek to please and glorify God? 
How you walk on your job, is that pleasing to God? How you walk in your home, is that pleasing to God? Now we come to church, and again, I'm not trying to be ugly here, but we usually put our best foot forward when we come here. But what happened 30 seconds before you walked in the doors? Were you walking worthy of the Lord unto pleasing unto Him, or were you walking your own way? You see, Paul says these are the things when we have this understanding that we'll walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Now again, who is he speaking to? Context matters. Paul is not talking to unbelievers. You realize an unbeliever cannot please God in anything. An unbeliever cannot please God in anything. Only the regenerate man, the regenerate woman can please God. I love what John Gill had to say about this. He says an unregenerate man cannot please God in anything. Without faith in Christ, it's impossible to please him by anything man can do. Christ only could and did always the things that pleased his Father. There are many things done by believers which are displeasing to God. You ever stopped and thought about that? That you can walk in a way that's displeasing to God? You're still a child of God. You still have evidences of redemption, but we can walk in ways that are displeasing to God. He goes on to say, nor is there anything they can do that is pleasing to God, but through Christ. In order to walk worthy of God, you have to be in Christ. In whom their persons and services are accepted. Good works being done in faith and from a principle of love and with a view to the glory of God are acceptable unto him through Christ and therefore are to be carefully maintained and performed by all those that have a spiritual understanding, notice the connection, of the will of God. In other words, to walk worthy of this Lord unto all pleasing, not only do you have to be regenerate, but you have to have wisdom and a spiritual understanding to walk in that way. And believe in Christ their Lord and Redeemer. Very carefully here, Paul is writing the realities of walking worthy require a true knowledge and a true position in Christ. Now notice what's connected in verse 10 with that walking worthy. Being fruitful in every good work. Fruitful. Believers, some have put it this way, are trees of righteousness. We are to produce good works. We are to produce fruit. There is no such thing as a non-fruit-bearing Christian. So if you say today, I'm in Christ, but your life has no fruit. And by the way, walking worthy of the Lord is a fruit. When you walk with a desire to please God as a husband, to please God as a wife, as a father, as a mother, as a child as a pastor, as an elder, as a deacon, whatever the case is, that's a fruit. When you walk worthy of God, when you walk worthy of the Lord, oftentimes we think about something that is, is tangible or palpable. We can say, well, that's a fruit. I, I did this uh, for this particular person. Yes, those are fruits. But do you realize walking worthy of the Lord is a fruit, is an evidence of your redemption? And when you walk right, when you are the right husband, when you are the right wife, when you're the right mother and father, when you're the right employee, friends, there's no, there may be not a greater way for you to demonstrate how worthy your walk is in the Lord 
than at your place of business or in your schools, right? We have this great opportunity to show the evidences. As we walk unto all pleasing, we are going to produce. Ephesians 2 verse 10, Paul says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained, listen to what he says, that we should walk in them. In other words, we are to walk as those who are Christ's workmanship. Good works, fruit, is always evident in the life of a person who's redeemed. But then notice he says, and we're also he's praying, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, increasing in the knowledge. We are not to be ignorant of God's ways. We're not to be willfully ignorant. It is dishonoring to God to remain willfully ignorant. For you to hear the word or read the word and to willfully say, I will not move. I will not improve. I will not get better. I will simply stay in my stubborn condition. I'm not going to increase. That's dishonoring. That's as dishonoring to God as being fruit, fruitless. If we say, I'm in, I'm in Christ, but I will not grow. I will remain ignorant. You see, both being fruitful and a growth in knowledge are necessary for you to even walk worthy of the Lord. This walk is not just something that's your motivating factor that when you get up in the morning and you put a yellow post-it note on your mirror and says, walk worthy of the Lord today. Because here's the glorious truth. Nowhere does the Bible say, nowhere is Paul praying that God expects you to do this in your own power. That's what the next phrase means. Strengthen with all might according to His glorious power. Do you realize you are not expected I'm not expected to walk worthy of the Lord, to be fruitful and to grow in grace and knowledge in my own strength. God never says, do this according to your own power. Paul is praying that you'd be strengthened with all might. Now, how much might is there in God's glorious power? It has no limit. That means if I'm strengthened with the might of the glorious power of God, does that mean walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing is possible? It absolutely is. Now, he doesn't say sinlessly perfect, but we can walk worthy. We can walk worthy of the Lord in His power. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, maybe we don't think about that very familiar verse as a proof text, but in a sense it is. Paul writes these words, and he said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, this power and grace is what enables us to bear the afflictions and the trials with patience, perseverance, and joy, and still walk worthy of the Lord. You realize you can still walk worthy of the Lord when you're going through a terrible affliction. What's keeping you upright? Your power or His? His. When you feel the weight of your own sin, like we learned from Asaph this morning, when you feel the weight and the burden of your own sin, who are you to seek? You're to seek God. You see, it's His power 
It's his power that enables us to continue to walk. Walk worthy. His grace, his power, it's what subdues these things and allows us to continue to walk in the right way. Notice he says, with all patience and long-suffering, with joyfulness. How can we walk worthy when life isn't joyful? That's the power of God on us. There is nowhere scripture that says that life is going to always be easy, that life is not going to be filled with times of affliction and suffering, but that we are given the grace. That's why when God told Paul, when Paul was begging God, please remove the thorn in the flesh, God didn't say, I'll take it under consideration, Paul. He didn't say, I'm considering your circumstances, Paul. I'm looking at the whole life, your whole chapter. I'm looking at your whole book story. I'm looking to see, are you worthy of me doing something else? And he says, no, my grace is sufficient. Let me ask you, is God's grace sufficient for you? Is God's grace sufficient? Because he says, it's in your weakness, brethren. It's in your weakness that his strength is made known. His power is seen. It is only when our strength comes from God that even our walk is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul, into a doxology of sort, in verse, beginning in verse 12, speaks very directly about the effectual cause of our redemption. How are we actually redeemed? Paul gives thanks to the Father, first of all. He continually thanks God. Here he's thanking God by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that it is what Christ has done that has made us fit to be partakers. Why are you a partaker of the inheritance of the saints? Is because of what Christ tasted for you. What did Christ taste of? He tasted of death. He, upon himself, absorbed the full wrath of God. Sin was not ignored. Sin was not dismissed. Sin, your sin, my sin, was paid for by the full wrath of God being poured out upon His dear Son. That's what makes you fit. That's what makes you qualified. What His dear Son has done for you. The effectual sole cause of your redemption is Christ Jesus. Period. Nothing more, nothing less. It is Christ that has qualified us. Every man in his natural born state is unfit, unqualified, and unworthy for heaven or even God's presence. Do you realize this morning how unfit and unqualified and unworthy you were for heaven until Christ died for you? You see, that alone ought to make our hearts desire to walk worthy of the Lord. That He who knew no sin became sin for us. I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. He says, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, let him glory in the Lord. 
Verse 13, Paul draws out and explains even more specifically how God makes us qualified, how he fits us to be partakers of heaven by drawing out of us the corrupt state, our depravity, our unworthiness. Notice he says he has delivered us from the power. Who delivered us? Christ delivered us. And delivered us where? From the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. What a beautiful expression. You have been made, delivered from the power of darkness, translated out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of His dear Son. Do not underestimate, do not undervalue what it means to be partakers of the kingdom of His Son. Romans 14, 17, Paul writing to the church at Rome says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness. To enter into the kingdom of God, you have to have a righteousness, like Jesus said, that far surpasses or exceeds the Pharisees. What was the Pharisees' righteousness wrapped up in? Meat and drink religious externals. You've got to have a righteousness that surpasses the righteousness of even the most holy person you know. In order to be delivered and translated to the kingdom of His dear Son, you need Christ's righteousness. You got Christ's righteousness not because you were seeking for it, but because He came looking for you and He got you. And He will not let you go he goes on and he says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What a great phrase. Righteousness, peace, and joy. I've never met a believer who doesn't rejoice in those three things. I've never met a Christian that says, ultimately, I don't want peace. Ultimately, I don't want joy. You know why? Because when they have the righteousness of Christ, they know real peace and they know real joy. Not a manufactured peace, not a manufactured joy, but a joy that comes because you have been delivered from the power of darkness. You've been translated into the kingdom of God. You have been made fit and a partaker of the inheritance through Christ. And verse 14, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We're dealing with this on Wednesday night as we're reading, studying through 1 John. This is the effectual regeneration that is done by the Spirit. We have been redeemed not only from sin, we've been redeemed from the law, we've been redeemed from His justice, and we have been personally redeemed from the wrath of God. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. No way of redemption can be accepted by a holy God no way of redemption can be even considered by a holy God that does not totally ransom the sinner from all sin. How does it do that? It must fully honor God's law. In other words, you can't have a way of redemption that does not honor the law of God. Man's trying all sorts of different ways to redeem themselves. Works-based salvation is an attempt to ransom yourself, but at the same time, you're dishonoring God's law. Why? Because you can't keep God's law. So you're saying sin can be paid for 
but I can dishonor God's law. No, the law of God is perfect. The law of God demands a perfect obedience to it. Can you keep the law perfectly? No. Who did keep the law perfectly? Who continues to keep the law perfectly? The same one who delivered you. Christ Jesus lived a perfect life. Sinless. So not only does redemption have to ransom the sinner, fully honor God's law, it must completely satisfy his justice. You see, God must be completely satisfied with the payment. You know what the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved? That God the Father was fully satisfied with the payment of Jesus Christ as the redemption price. The fact that that tomb is empty is the proof that Jesus Christ's death, his blood, the burial, the resurrection, the resurrection proves God the Father was satisfied. You and I cannot do that. Next week we'll deal more into this, but verses 15 through 17, we see the eternal supremacy of our Redeemer. Paul, having speaking about our, spoken about our redemption, now describes the Redeemer. And he uses words we're not usually accustomed to when we think about Christ. But notice he describes him as the image of the invisible God. To put it as simply as we can this morning, Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He is the visible representation in the flesh of the invisible God. What do I see in Christ? I see every attribute of God in Jesus Christ. When we see Christ, we see every attribute of God. We see his justice. We see his holiness. We see his righteousness. So that when we look to Christ, we are seeing the express image of the invisible God. Paul also describes Christ as the firstborn of every creature. Now, this does not mean that he was the first of creation, the first creature made, because he was not made. The next verse, it is said that all things were created by him. Here's what Paul is simply saying. Christ is the king. Christ is the Lord. And Christ is the owner of all creation. Even the Jews, who many were disbelieving, made the firstborn to be synonymous with a king. Jesus Christ is the king of all creation. He's not only the king, but he's at the same time the heir of all creation, for it was made by him for him. Notice what verse 16 says, by him were all things created. When you see those words in Genesis, let us make man in our own image, the let us is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is just as much creator as God the Father was. He created what? All things that are heaven, in earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things were created by him, and I love this, and for him. It was by him and in him all things were created and by him that all things are held together. Bet you never thought about Jesus Christ as holding all things together. He's not just holding your salvation together. He's holding all things together. Folks, there's a lot of things we can listen by, uh, learn today by way of application. Let me just quick, quickly give you an application and conclude this today. And we'll pick up again next week. Paul was in constant prayer that believers would be filled with this knowledge. 
You and I ought to pray for one another that way. We can pray certainly for the, the afflictions and the trials and the struggles we go through. But do you know, even afflictions and trials, the best way for us to be able to endure and go through those is when we have a knowledge of God's will. Paul thought, even Paul thought the best thing for him was to have the, flesh, the thorn in the flesh removed. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. You see, sometimes we mistake our affliction for something that we need to have removed when God says, no, I'm using this affliction to strengthen you. I'm using this affliction that you might know the knowledge of my will even more. So Paul prays constantly. He prays that they would observe and pray all of these spiritual blessings that they have in Christ. With the knowledge of God's will in Christ, he prayed that they'd be strengthened with all might to be able to apprehend what their redemption means. If I understand my redemption, I can only understand my redemption through my Redeemer. Christ, His dear Son, has delivered me. And as a result, as we are in Christ, we will show the evidences of this cause of our redemption. We understand that because we're in Christ Jesus, we are going to walk worthy of the Lord. Again, remember, if you're here this morning and you have not ever trusted in Christ as your Savior, it is impossible for you to please God. You cannot please God in your unregenerate state. But just as every service, we pronounce to you and declare unto you the free offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All who will come unto him, he will not cast off. But those that are in Christ today, may we rejoice and maybe we be in prayer for one another about this Christ that we are told is the very image of the invisible God. Everything we are and everything we need, we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that it has been nourishment for our souls today. And Lord, although as I look, we see... And we've, nearly everyone in this room has made a profession of Christ, and we certainly pray that that is the case. And Father, if that be so, may we be strengthened by what we've heard today. May we consider our own walk. May we consider the walk in our homes, in our jobs, in our schools, in our life, in our church. And may we be challenged by that question, are we walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing? Lord, I pray Lord, that that would be our heart's desire, to walk worthy of Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.